Hi, I'm Sarah Trott, and welcome to the Fourth Trimester Podcast. I'm a new mama, and this podcast is all about postpartum care for the first few months following birth, the time period also known as the Fourth Trimester. My postpartum doula, Esther Gallagher, is my co-host. She's a mother, grandmother, perinatal educator, birth and postpartum care provider. Fourth Trimester Care, our topic, is about the practical, emotional, and social support parents and baby require. And importantly, it helps set the tone for the continuing journey of parenting. Hi, welcome back to the Fourth Trimester Podcast. We have a very fascinating topic today. I'm really thrilled to be here talking about it. The topic is placenta consumption, which oddly enough is something that's not as commonly practiced as other birth traditions, possibly because of the U factor or just a lack of information about it and what it is. So I have to say that I am surprised myself going from one camp to the other, having very little information about use of the placenta other than, you know, its practical function and the gestation process. But one thing that I did come across in the media, which a lot of people probably either heard about or saw if they're in any way a fan of reality television would be that Kourtney Kardashian famously ate her own placenta in pill form and tweeted about it and took a picture of her placenta pills. And I think a lot of people were sort of intrigued and shocked, but fascinated with that. And I I would hope that the fascination would lead to a lot more inquiries into like what exactly that is and why she did that. So I am really pleased to say that I am here joined today by Spring Childers, who is a certified doula, a massage therapist. Anyone who's interested in finding out more about her can go to her own site, which is thebirthdoula.com. And I know Spring because we work together. She is nurturing and knowledgeable, and she is here to help us demystify a little bit about the placenta. So hello. Hello. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me, Sarah. Um, Can I ask a really basic question to kick us off, which is, what is the placenta? So let's just be simple and say that the placenta is an amazing organ that is made from the embryo and implanted into the bed of the uterus, into the endometrium lining, and it forms, starts forming around day eight and continues forming until about the 12th week when it has its full form and it's a full functioning organ that then sustains the pregnancy and nurtures, brings nutrients to the fetus and hormones to the mama to help her to sustain the pregnancy. So a couple of functions of the placenta just physiologically is it has a few functions, the organ of metabolism, the organ of transfer, and an endocrine organ. So it synthesizes the production and the secretion of these hormones that are needed for sustaining pregnancy. And the placenta provides the fetus with oxygen and carbon dioxide exchange, the passage of nutrients and the excretion of the waste. So it also can transfer the maternal antibodies and the hormones to maintain the pregnancy. So one thing that I thought was really interesting that you had mentioned to me is just the fact that not all placentas are the same. I think you'd mentioned twins. Mm -hmm. What, What happens in a twin scenario? 
So there are two different types of twin placental growth. They could be fused together depending on how the twins are made. And therefore, we want to be a little bit more vigilant at that birth. And these days, you probably they would probably look at that being a cesarean um, here in the United States or in industrialized countries. Just because if one baby is born and some of the placenta starts to come off, then they are connected and that can lead to uh, mama hemorrhaging and the second baby not getting the nutrients and the oxygen it needs to get born. So that can be a little bit of a complicated situation. What I have seen and which has been very exciting is to have two separate placentas and they have implanted in two separate sites and, with, and the babies are in two separate sacs. And so that was very exciting because then I was able to witness and I also have helped process these placentas and keeping them separate and honoring that they are each placentas for two different individual people. And they, you know, were about the same size, a little bit smaller than your average placenta. And, you know, they each had their own pattern and they have, you know, their own life, so to speak. Yeah. And is there ever a case where it's two babies in one or is that, that's what you mean by fused? That's what I mean by fused. So you would have two babies and the placentas would be fused when they have, it it could also be two babies in in the two sacs where the placenta is just implanted next to each other. And so then they kind of fuse together a little bit. But in case where they would be fused would be when they haven't separated all the way because they came from the same egg. Yeah, that makes sense. So just kind of thinking a little more broadly about the concept of the placenta, there are very few things in life that are temporary in the way that that is. So for example, the state of being engaged to someone to be married, you know, it's this period that just comes along once in the relationship you know, you're, you're with someone and then you're engaged and it's like this really special period of time before something big happens. And then, it, you know, you're in this lifelong commitment. And in a funny sort of way, that reminds me of the placenta's life. It grows to perform a specific purpose to prepare something. And it's there for a defined period of time. And then it's done. And it's such an awe-inspiring function of the body, creating a baby and creating this new life. But the placenta is the enabler of that in a lot of ways, because it's giving the baby what it needs to grow. And I think that's really special. And people don't really talk about their placenta that much. <laughs> yeah. Um, so in that way, so many things come to mind because, you know, through the years, I've really read a lot about placentas and the traditions of placentas and the history of placentas in all the different cultures around the world. And one thing that we can all recognize, and we all know because we all lived in the amniotic sac with the placenta for, you know, up to nine months. And on that placenta, there is a beautiful pattern of veins that run. And if you look closely, they can resemble a tree. And the placenta is regarded around the world as the tree of life. Let's say, so the tree is the symbol of kind of the cycle of life in that we have roots that go into the ground and the earth is that place where all things decay and come back to life as kind of a recycling that happens there. And so these roots are connected in to that earth and that life-giving force. And then there's the trunk. 
And inside the womb, inside the amniotic sac, we have the placenta, we have the veins that look like the tree tops, and we have the cord that connects the mom and the baby. And this cord brings that life, just like the trunk in the tree brings the life from the roots, the placenta, up through the cord or through the trunk and into this baby, just as the tree brings up the life from the earth through the roots to the trunk and up into the branches, into the leaves, bringing fruit. And we all know how that cycle works, that trees have the blossoms, the fruiting, the leaves, they then decay and die and fall off. And we go into, and it goes into that quiet time to rejuvenate again. So the placenta symbolizes that cycle. And once we are born and this placenta comes along with us, we then have this great nutritional and just, just amazing strong life force. And once again, I'm speaking about some, some traditions, but also the physiological makeup of a placenta and how it works in that once it's born, it's here and it's full of life and it's not over yet. <laughs> there is a continuation process. Just like when you're engaged and you get married, it leads into something else. It's not over yet. And so um, there are so many ways we can honor that life force. When my baby grew and her little belly button stub started to fall off, I remember thinking, oh no, it's almost falling off. I think there was so much joy I had in her growing and developing and also such a feeling of sadness and loss that my really tiny newborn baby girl who's growing so fast and this period is going by in a flash that, oh, she's going to be less connected to me somehow because that physical symbol of my connection to her was about to fall off and go away, <laughs> which is for the best. <laughs> but, but I did definitely shed a tear, more than a tear, one bath time when I looked down and, and it was gone. And I thought, okay, that was the end of something. And I, I feel connected to her spiritually and in my heart in so many ways. But that was a special feeling for me that I had when I saw that there was something physical there that was part of the two of us together that was really special. That's one of the properties of the placenta and the umbilical cord. And that is something that is honored in traditions all around the world. And it's something for all of us to remember is that uh, we were connected to our mothers, our first beginnings of life. And it all started with that connection with the placenta implanting in the cord growing out. And, and then that constant exchange. And it's just like the, you know, deciduous trees, how the leaves can fall off and then have a new. And when that cord fell off, I'm sure something anew happened in her development and in her physiology as she was healing and growing and becoming a bigger human. Ah, oh, yes. <laughs> I suppose I have two questions. One is, how do we prepare for having a good, healthy placenta in terms of foods and practices and things like that while we're pregnant? Well, actually, let's just start there. I'm really glad that you asked that. Because I see quite a few placentas. I've seen quite a few placentas. And no matter what, I can tell you that placentas will find find whatever they need to bring that baby its nourishment. And so if you're not eating the healthiest thing or some of the things I recommend, it's okay. Your placenta is an amazing organ that knows exactly what to do. And its job is to grow and nurture your baby and sustain your pregnancy. And it will do that 
to the best of its ability. And I have seen placentas that I'm sure everyone's heard about, oh, the placenta gives out or, you know, it grows old. And so that's why we need to get that baby out and get labor going at the due time. And, you know, I've seen placentas go very far overdue weeks and, you know, maybe, and it's what is called calcification where just some hard particulate, uh, the placenta starts to degrade into and, and kind of close down and it, there's some hard particulate. But in all of those placentas where that might start happening, there is always an open functioning space. And so even sometimes I've seen placentas where there might be extra lobe, we call it, with extra cotyledons. And these are the, the cotyledons are what connect into the mama's uterus and through the villi bring the nutrition to and from the placenta and then to the baby. So no matter what you eat, you're going to give your body this this good nutrition. Your placenta is going to be okay. However, I have seen where women who do not assimilate or process their sugars as well, maybe being diagnosed with gestational diabetes, maybe not. But when I come back and ask, what were you eating? Um, maybe they were eating a higher, not necessarily straight sugar, but high carbohydrate, a little bit less protein, a little bit of an imbalance in their food. I have seen those to be a little bit more calcified. I've seen vegans with gorgeous placentas. So, um, and now these are vegans that are very conscious about getting a nice high protein blood building diet. And so for in general, what you want to look at for your nutrition is same as any kind of pregnancy nutrition, but know that when you're thinking about it, it's not just about nourishing your baby, but it is about nourishing your placenta because that is how your baby gets its nutrients. And so any kind of blood building foods or even infused teas, so herbal teas, there's great nettle and raspberry leaf, and you can mix a little peppermint in if you want for flavor and oat straw. These can be really good, um, and alfalfa, these can be really good blood building, and you, it's something you can drink as opposed to sometimes, you know, all the foods can get a little overwhelming. You know, organ meats are really great. Funny thing that an organ meat would nurture an organ. <laughs> So I always recommend hot, you know, very clean, organic, no hormones, livers and organ meats from either cows or chickens or uh, beef, pork, whatever. Those can be some of the best blood building. And you can just mix those things in with other meats mm -hmm. and they don't have to be as off-putting because sometimes those flavors can be a little bit strong for if you're not accustomed to it. I've certainly seen recipes for things like bolognese sauces that have chicken liver in them. Exactly. And you can mix that in. And so that's another good next level is the bolognese. It's tomato and vitamin C. And so vitamin C is another thing that helps us absorb that iron and helps to with that blood building. And there's always amazing fruits that are high in vitamin C, or in this case to a good tomato sauce, that go through all the seasons. So I've worked with moms who said, oh, I ate a whole bowl of these fresh oranges and I just couldn't stop eating them. And you know what? When her baby came out, she had the strongest membranes, those, the amniotic sac was so strong. And that comes from eating a nice high bioflavonoid diet in which in that case too, um, I do recommend you're nurturing the placenta as well as 
the amniotic sac. And we want those membranes to be nice and strong because you want your baby to stay encased in that sac as long as possible. And that is one of the commonalities of malnutrition is that the membranes break a little bit early and mamas go into preterm labor. So thinking about the nutrition and just eating what you have around you if, if well, we're here in California. So, you know, <laughs> if not, get some frozen berries and make yourself a smoothie. <laughs> but, you know, we do have um, access to really great food here. And um, those are just some of the things that you can add into your diet to enhance the nutrition of keeping your placenta healthy so the baby stays healthy. Great. Absolutely. So the takeaway, just if someone were to add three things to their shopping list, maybe a tea with alfalfa in it, a uh, or one of the other things that you mentioned for teas, maybe some livers to add depth of flavor to sauces and chilies and things and citrus. Yep. Okay. You got it. Fantastic. Okay. So my next question. <laughs> so some people eat their placentas. Yes, they do. We're mammals. <laughs> let's talk about that. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about it. There is one simple thing I can say mm-hmm. about eating your placenta is what I just responded with. We are mammals. We are animals. Every animal on the face of this earth eats their placenta. I grew up on a small farm in the central coast of California with goats and pigs and cows and horses and dogs and cats. And when you see a dog or cat eat their placenta, it's pretty normal. It's like, okay, yeah, they're just cleaning up after the birth and because you do see them hunt and catch meat. But when you see a goat who just has this bottom layer of teeth or a cow and then, you know, they get those big grinders to chew their cud and you see them turn around and lick off all the membrane and everything off their baby and make sure baby's okay and baby goes to nurse. And then you see them go over and start eating their placenta. And now, you know, there's a question of whether that is, you know, to get rid of the evidence, so to speak, as you know, if you're out in the wild, you don't want um, any predators coming in. And I can speak on the farm that the dogs and the cats and everybody comes up to get Mm -hmm. a little bit of that placenta. And then that's another you know, question, why would anybody else want that placenta, you know? So that's, this is a very strong life force that gives some strong nutrients, hormones, and replenishes the system. So when I witnessed that growing up, and then in my adult life, when my good friend said she wanted to encapsulate her placenta, I didn't really question it. I just thought, oh yeah, that sounds perfect. And I had been a chef for about 15 years. So I said, okay, how do we do it? What do we got to cook it? Or you put, what do you do? You put it in the smoothie. And the midwife said, well, there's a, um, a way to do it. And she could have done it for my friend. However, my friend couldn't afford it. And so the midwife's response was, it is not rocket science. The reason I charge a fee is because it takes my time and effort and you can do this for her. And the other reason why someone might do not do it themselves is because they just had a, the woman just had a baby and a partner, father just um, had, you know, they, the new baby comes in. Uh, to the family, there's not really a time or space to be cooking up placentas and taking that care. And that is where 
the fellow villagers, as I like to say, but the family around can help. And so we helped my friend do this. And it's not rocket science. You know, we did it in a way, Chinese medicine way, it's referred to, but basically we were preserving it on a low impact way to keep all the nutrients and the hormones. And so we steamed it and then sliced it up very thinly and put it in a dehydrator so that it could dry at a very low impact heat. It can be done in the oven, you know, on a very low heat and maybe turning on and off the oven. This particular friend, the very first placenta I ever helped to make into medicine, I had a mortar pestle that I got specifically. And I went over every day and I put a few pieces in and I hand ground it and we sat and we talked and I ground it up. I just got get a little teary thinking because it was such an amazing process to be with my sister friend and share in that postpartum time and be doing something for her that was going to nourish her and her baby into this new realm of life. And I would just grind up. We had a little encapsulator and it holds about 24 capsules. So we'd grind up about 24 a day and then we'd put them in the refrigerator and she was taking them a few times a day. And it really helped in her recovery. And she had had depression earlier in her 20s of her life. And she was really conscious about making sure she did everything she could to support herself. And this was one of the things that she did to support herself physiologically, spiritually, and emotionally, because the placenta does all of those things. Hmm. And by encapsulation, just to be totally clear, you mean putting the dehydrated ground up pieces of the placenta into a small pill form? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So there are so many different ways that we can ingest our placenta and it's what resonates with you. And so I invite everyone to kind of think about what that might be for them. I personally got to grow my own placenta and baby and give birth and then ingest. And because I had seen women do this, consume their placentas in so many different ways, I wanted to try the different ways and see how they made me feel. And I could also tell people. And so one thing that was recommended is just like I had seen the goats do on the farm is to eat a piece raw postpartum. And I was also apprenticing as a midwife and I have been a birth doula. So I have seen women who might be having a bit of blood loss postpartum or who might be having some heavy cramping or whatnot. And the midwives recommended just pull a little piece off raw and eat this, you know, and I had heard stories and read stories, of course, in my studies of women being not near modern facilities, medical facilities, having their babies and whether it was historic or modern, I don't remember, but I do remember the stories of a woman having a little excess bleeding postpartum and just cutting off a big chunk of that placenta, eating it and the bleeding resuming to normal and the uterus, you know, contracting down and having that recovery from just eating that placenta. So there are so many different ways to consume it. Like I said, so I always recommend to women because I experienced it and it was wonderful. I took a piece off, not right after the birth. I, I we had a late night birth and so I fell asleep. But the next morning I spent some time with my placenta and I got to study it and look around at those cotyledons and 
I found a little piece that I just thought I want that piece. And I had my orange juice ready and I was going to chase it and I was going to just <laughs> choke it back. And, and I eat meat. So, you know, it, it wasn't, didn't seemingly be a, a big problem, but I popped it in and I chewed it and I tasted it and it was so good. And I didn't want to drink the orange juice and I wanted more. <laughs> Whoa. Yes, it's true. And so I thought, oh, must I be crazy? No, because I have heard this story time and time and time again from women. Mm-hmm. And I realized that same primal feeling that comes out when you're birthing your baby, it was, and protecting your baby and all those things that we do with our babies. That was just another moment where I felt like really primal and that I needed another piece. And so I had one more piece and I didn't really feel like I needed much after. And do you know, my uterus Within eight hours, my uterus was down four fingers, which in measurement is almost down to a normal postpartum size. My mom walked in the room and said, what happened to you? You look just really bright and beautiful and just colorful. You look like you just got all your energy back. And I didn't think that I looked less before but I knew what she was talking about. And so I share that story because I think it's important that women know you can have that postpartum. You can, Mm. it's right there and you can have it and it's yours. You made it and it's yours and it is your baby's. And guess what? Your baby gets the benefits too. And your baby's been with this placenta for nine, 10 months. And when it comes out, it is separated from that placenta. And this is a way for your baby to have that reconnection. And that reconnection comes through you by you nurturing your body with Mm. the placenta and by the baby nursing or being with you and receiving those benefits. What is it in the placenta that gives us that color that comes back or that helps our uterus contract or that adds to the milk that our babies are getting? It's all the same things that were benefiting us and the baby inside. So that organ still has all those properties of those hormones. So it's hormones. It's hormones. And it's an argument. So it's got iron and it's got minerals and, you know, and zinc and nutrients that are replenishing our bodies but to a very higher level. I think one thing about it is that, you know, you could eat another animal's organ meat and get these great nutrition and and properties, but you're not going to get, this is yours. You made it. So it's made for you and it's not made for anyone else. And I have had lactation consultants ask me, say, well, I don't think that she should take her placenta. She's having trouble with her milk coming in. And when you, the placenta is birthed, it's part of the process to say, hey, it's time to make milk. Hmm. And in my study, well, intuitively, I knew that, that that just couldn't be, right? Because why does everybody else, all the other animals eat their placenta and they get their milk? And Including, so, like you say, the goat and the cow, which are right. vegetarian, yes. right? Yeah, they, they don't eat grasses. Yeah. yeah. So, I, you know, there was that part to it. But now in my studies, I've seen that, do you know what happens with organic material, plants, herbs, how they work in our body, they're regulating to what's happening in our body. This is not a synthetic medicine. This is not an Advil that you take for that works on the pain receptors. This is your own. Mm -hmm. And so I believe that you take this into your body and it 
helps your body regulate with whatever you need. And I've seen it happen. I've seen women who need more milk in their milk to come in and they've gotten more milk. I've seen women who are engorged and take their capsules. They don't take three or four. They might just take one or half and seeing their milk regulate. So I think that the properties that we're receiving back from the placenta are just what we need. Yeah, I think that's the fear, right? Because the the milk comes in for women often when there's a big drop in one hormone and the other one kicks in and takes its place. And you can sort of demystify this for us. The idea that, oh, if I take my placenta pills, then those have all the hormones that I had when I was flying high as a kite on my pregnancy and I felt so great. And I don't want to get postpartum depression. So if I take these pills, they're going to give me, they'll be my little uppers, Mm -hmm. my little natural (laughs) drugs that I can take. But then there's the fear that, oh, is that going to negate my milk production? Absolutely. And that is something that I've had women ask, or like I said, even professionals asking. And what I've seen in the results is that they help balance out what you need. And I always tell women too, you know, you, this is yours. So you need to regulate it. You know, how much do I take? Well, you know, we can recommend one to two caps a couple times a day Mm -hmm. and you could take them all postpartum until they're gone. Or if you keep them in the fridge, you could have them up, you know, to a year or two. I'm sure the potency is going to go down, Mm -hmm. but you need to decide. So I will share myself as an example that, you know, I took about two capsules a day for the first week. And then after I took about one, and then after that, I kind of forgot about it. And here's another little note. Sometimes you just forget to take it. And that's why it's wonderful for everyone to know that you're, that you have that as a remedy and they can remind you. I had a moment a few weeks postpartum and I found myself on the floor crying. I couldn't get deeper into that floor. I wasn't sad. I wasn't happy. I was just being in an overwhelm of probably a hormone flux at the time. My baby was sleeping and happy. I called my husband. He immediately (laughs) went into the protective, you know, male to save me. What do you need? What happened? And I said, I don't know. Everything's fine. And he gathered himself and reminded me that I had a placenta that I could take to help with that. And so I did. And I don't remember coming up or down or anything. All I remember is that I made it through that day and I felt balanced and great. So I think the example of that story is just that it's our medicine. We made it. We need to regulate it ourselves and decide how it's going to work and see how much we need when we need it. Yeah. I think it's interesting. You're reminding me of a story that someone told me about how during their pregnancy, they actually had a lot of erosion in their teeth. So she actually lost teeth during pregnancy. And I can only think that's because of what you were mentioning earlier about the placenta taking what it needs from the body. Mm -hmm. So if you're not giving your body the nutrition it needs, your body's going to get what it needs to make that baby from you. Uh, which is why the nutrition part is so important. But I think what I'm also taking from this is the what you're saying about balance. Let's say we eat a sack of oranges. If we don't need it, we don't need it, but it's not going to hurt. If we're consuming a placenta pill and our body doesn't need it, it's not really going to hurt us, is it? Yeah, I have an example <laughs> of how it won't hurt you. I did have a client who had her acupuncturist make her placenta into capsules was a doula client who I visited postpartum and said, okay, how are you doing? How are your capsules working? And she said, oh, great. And I said, you know, you should, you could maybe, um, you know, you could take some 
she was having a little feeling a little tired from being awake at night nursing everything. And I said, you know, this is probably a good time. You could take some and it'll help replenish your body. And she said, Oh, I already took them all. (laughs) So within about three days, she'd taken about 70 capsules (laughs) and she said, Oh, I didn't really feel any difference. (laughs) So there you have it. Not much happened there. So that was right for her. (laughs) It was right for her. And I do say too, when a woman is taking capsules or just like when you want to maybe pick that raw piece or not, you know, you just pull out a couple capsules or you look at the placenta and you say, what do I need? And you take what you need and you'll know, you'll say, I want two, I want five, or I want that big chunk or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) One thing that reminds me when you spoke of your friend with her teeth and how the placenta and the pregnancy will sustain by gathering whatever it can from the body is just a reminder that we can always be building the nutrition in our body, even when we just kind of think we might want to be getting pregnant and really being conscious about nurturing our body and preparing our body for growing a new life. And I think historically, this has been the way of humans. And even if you go back to the earliest in the biblical story of Mary, very, you know, kind of traditional story, whether you know it or not, is simply that this angel came to her and said, prepare yourself for you're going to carry the spirit of God. And I think this is just a really great symbol to say, prepare yourself for life. You're going to be the life-giving force. You're going to be the mother. And so, you know, whether you have an angel tell you that or not, prepare yourself and give your body that nutrition so you can be a strong mother and so that you can nourish this life and this placenta that's going to do the work as well. I love that. I really do. And it's more than the prenatal vitamins. Right. It is. Those are helpful though. <laughs> yes. Do take your prenatal vitamins for sure. And your fish oils. Tell me again, everything that you provided for me when I gave you my placenta. And actually first on a practical note, I remember thinking uh, deciding, all right, well, if this isn't going to hurt me, I'll try it mm-hmm. so rather pragmatically, but it could benefit me. So great. Let's do it. But I had a logistical question about, ooh, how do I get my placenta where it needs to be? (laughs) And the answer was a Tupperware container. But what do you recommend for people who are sort of interested in this? Yeah, so I recommend that everyone keep their placenta, whether you want to do something with it or not. Because, you know, this was the life-giving force of your child. And it is honored around the world throughout time. There's all sorts of cultural traditions honoring the placenta. No matter what I say, bring it home. And you can put it in the freezer. Great modern (laughs) um, equipment. We have a freezer and you can save it and it'll be fine. It could be good up to six months if you do want to consume it. But you could even just keep it and then possibly bury it later under a tree or in your yard. And, you know, whether you stay there or not, I mean, there's so many different traditions about the placenta being the brother-sister spirit, because it did come from the embryo. It grows out of the embryo. So it is, it can be technically this brother-sister spirit. And in many traditions around the world, they do bury the placenta in the home compound so that this will be also the place where you're buried. And so that this human will know where to come home. In that way, one little tradition to honor the placenta, I always recommend you bring it home. 
And, or if you have your baby at home, keep the placenta around, keep it in the freezer and store it. If you are planning to have your baby in the hospital here in the Bay area, I know a lot of the rules, but they can be different all around our country and the world. So always ask, you know, what their policies are. There are a couple, I believe there are a couple hospitals around here that you do have to sign a waiver that you are taking a biohazard out, even though you're taking your baby out. So sometimes that doesn't make sense to me, but it is a blood borne pathogen product. So you should probably take it out with care. The easiest thing is to get two one gallon Ziplocs. That's what I tell people. You can, if you want, bring a quart container. A placenta is going to be about a pound. So, you know, think about that big steak or a pound of meat, ground meat or something. It's going to be about that big. So, and it's also, it's an organ meat, so it's soft and forming. So it can fit itself in a nice quart container. And I always say double bag it, you know, put two layers around it because it does have blood liquid form. And if you're transporting it, it's not so fun if that leaks or is it? Yeah, not really fun. Okay. That brings us to (laughs) the people who are there with you birthing. I always recommend that everyone in the room knows, but especially your partner. And if you have a doula or a mom or anybody, sister, friend, someone who is there helping, but that everybody knows that you want to keep that placenta because there tends to be quite a lot going on. It is not honored in the same way in the hospital setting as it might be at home or in other places around the world. But this third stage is not honored in the way that the placenta is usually just disposed of. So unless you are very clear because it's just routine for them, they're not going to save it. So you got to be like flagging how we want to keep our placenta. We want to keep our placenta. And when the placenta comes out, we want to keep our placenta and you get your placenta in your containers and keep your placenta. There's always ice at a hospital. um, But if you bring a little cooler or something, it's great to have. And then you can just get that ice on it and keep it cold. They usually won't let you keep them in the refrigerators. That's it. You can transport it back to your home. Um, or have someone come and pick it up and, you know, do the processing for you if that's what you'd like to do. You know, there's ways to that you can do it yourself. You can absolutely process it into the capsules and drying and do that form. But as well as the raw placenta has similar benefits, but it's the raw placenta is a little bit more because it hasn't been cooked at all. So the properties are a little bit stronger. And so consuming the placenta raw can definitely give you a little bit uh, higher of a lift. And so some people like to consume it raw and you can slice it up and have it in portions where you put it in smoothies. Another way to do it is to actually make the smoothies and portion the smoothies out and then keep those in the freezer and then you can eat those over time. The Chinese medicine tradition is the way of steaming it is a way of converting it into a warm herb. And traditionally, we want to replenish moms with warmth. You know, around the world, there's the mother roasting one term, but is moms being in for at least two weeks to 40 days with the heat or the fire under the bed, you know, kind of is the older way of looking at it. And with lots of heat and just mama and baby contact, warm, whole chicken broth. This is the most open time a mom will ever be. She's just given birth and everything is open and kind of coming back down, but the milk's coming in and um, your uterus is still healing. And part of the reason for steaming it and drying it is turning it into a warmer and replenishing the body with warmth. However, if raw is what you're called to have for your body and your replenishing and your nourishment, then that's fine too. And you also gave me a fabulous tincture. Yeah. 
So the tinctures, you know, I don't really know a lot about tinctures and I've read over it. Um, and it is traditional and it is in a lot of, um, different countries have done different ways of making tinctures. And so the way that I picked up was to simply pull a small piece off the size of a nickel or a quarter, depending into a couple ounces of vodka. I try to get the 50%, you know, the hundred proof in California, we can't get the 190 proof. So, you know, this will do. And it's just very simply a different way to preserve it and to have it for a lifelong preservation. First time I came across this was a friend whose midwife had made her a big 16 ounce tincture. Then she in turn gave that to her mother when she was going through her menopausal time. Her mom claims that, you know, one of those kind of like a lot of placenta consumers that I don't know if it was one way or the other, but it didn't hurt. There are the benefits of this placenta um, tincture and doing it in the raw way where it's more of just an essence because it sits for a couple days in the sunlight, which helps fix the placenta and helps draw out the properties into the alcohol. After a couple days, and it's also, it's not sealed tight in a container. It has just a cheesecloth over the top with the oxygen also being part of that process. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just a couple days, tincture or essence, uh, depending on your school of thought and proper terminology. And so then the raw piece, you'll see it's pretty white after it's been in the alcohol for a couple days, as most of the properties have been drawn out and fixed into the alcohol. And now the alcohol is the carrier. And so that tincture can be used um, just as well as the capsules whenever you're feeling it. And as well, that there's a beautiful thing about it is that it can be used on the baby because the baby doesn't need to ingest it. The baby can just have a couple drops on the bottoms of their feet or be on the top of their head and they will absorb the properties. And once again, then that gives babies a chance to receive the properties of the placenta, bringing that balance and that reconnection with the placenta and with the mom, giving them that kind of calm and centeredness that they might need because they are going through gigantic development leaps, as we all know. Yes, (laughs) absolutely. So tips and tricks for consumption. I know that you had mentioned something about mastitis and something about white wine. Okay. So um, in the Chinese medicine way, like we just talked about how um, the placenta is converted into a warm herb. This means that it's energetically going into the body and not deciphering between any pathogens, but just enhancing the heat. Well, there are heat conditions, which would be a cold or a flu or a rash and an infection. And mastitis is one of those heat conditions that we don't want to enhance. And so this would be a time where you might not want to take not might, you don't want to take your placenta capsules. It doesn't have to be full-blown mastitis. I think anyone who's had anywhere near a breast infection coming on is, it's pretty noticeable. And it's usually from not nursing enough, from doing too much and being, you know, overtired. And so in which case, if you're feeling these flu-like symptoms, whether it's a flu cold or a possible breast infection, I recommend you just stop taking your placenta capsules. This is recommended by acupuncturists across the board that I've learned from. So they would say to stop taking the capsules, you know, of course, for a breast infection or any kind of infection, you want to rest, maybe 
boost up on your vitamin C or whatever you do to boost your immune system and nurse a lot and stay warm and stay hydrated and replenish your system when you're feeling back up on your feet, then you can go ahead and take your capsules again. And so another Chinese traditional Chinese medicine way is to take the capsules or the powder with white wine, enhancing the depth of the the medicine as it goes into your body. I tried this. I didn't try it immediately postpartum because I didn't want any alcohol in my system for my baby. (laughs) So, but it's not, you know, it's recommended just like a small ounce or a half ounce with the capsules. And I did try this after a couple months postpartum and I did feel like it went a little bit deeper and I felt calmer and there was just something calmer and in a deeper way. And I, and I understand now why they say it that way. It's defined that way because that's kind of how it felt. And white wine is lovely. Absolutely. And it's (laughs) lovely for moms, you know, it does take give that extra calming effect. (laughs) And of course, if breastfeeding, we wouldn't want to consume much at all, but a very small amount is acceptable. Absolutely. Everything is acceptable in small amounts. I wanted to talk about some of the more beautiful and interesting things that came out of working with you, which was that I ended up with some beautiful artwork prints of my placenta. Yes. Working with placentas is an absolute honor for me. It's an honor to be part of this process of life. And I feel blessed that this is a path that I'm on and that women have called me to do this and asked me to do this for them and complete this process of birth for them and helping them to become moms and to, you know, start into the next phase of their family. I always try and just honor this placenta, this life-giving force. And one of the things that I do, there are so many different traditions. And like I said, I've kind of read and researched them all and they just seem endless and they're always coming up. And I learned so much, even from my clients, I've learned so many different things that can be done or that their, their parents and grandparents have done in their families. I try and take photos. And then I also like to just take that tree of life the baby side, the side the baby lived on. And you'll see all the veins that are forming that tree of life. And that's its own pattern. And there are, I read in a, in a memoir of a midwife in the South, I believe it was. Anyway, somewhere in the United States that there was an older traditional midwife who would read those veins and the pattern. And it would be a fortune telling of sorts to the child's life. There are other cultures and traditions who there is fortune telling around the placenta in meaning, you know, where and what a child might do or be. I usually will just take the blood that was in the umbilical cord and there's usually a little bit left in there and kind of squeeze that out and Um, use that to make like a paint on the baby's side of the placenta and the cord, and then press down paper over it to make this print. One thing that I feel I'm honoring too is a keepsake for not just the mom, but for the baby who lived in this pattern for their whole beginning existence. We all did that. And so I think that is a symbol of who we are and our love for nature. Everybody loves a walk in the woods. 
And even if you don't, look deep inside because you do. And if you stand at the trunk of a tree and you look up, there is something that is known to all of us because we all lived in that. We all started off that way. In fact, there is a tradition in desert communities that a child will come out who has not seen a tree and be able to draw a tree. That symbolizes the knowledge of, you know, kind of who we are and where we come from, that we all have it. And so I try and honor that by making the print. And then as well as keeping the cord, I put it in a spiral because there's, you know, the spiral of life. I do believe in, you know, every step. It's not a circle, but it's a spiral. Every step is different and everybody's life is different and everybody's pattern is different. And as well as the cord is this great spirally piece of the placenta and the baby. And the way that it spirals is how the two arteries and the vein grow quicker than the cord. And so every baby has their own pattern, their own spiral. So I like to just kind of see how the cord falls and put it in a spiral and dry it. And many cultures do honor the cord. Some might bury it uh, near the river so that the child will be a good swimmer or a good fisherman. Others, uh, there's a culture that hangs it from the tree so they'll be good climbers. I had a client once, I believe they were from the Philippines. Her mother said that they would wrap it in newspaper and hang it in the windows so that when people walk by, they will see the paper in the court and it will give the child more scholarly energy or knowledge. And what are some of the other traditions that you have heard of? So one thing that I came across when we were traveling, gosh, it was uh, near the Grand Tetons. That's right. And I I am a sucker for an information (laughs) visitor center (laughs) info booth. And so my husband said, Ooh, that one looks really big, honey. Let's go. And so we went in and they had this huge Native American display And in one section that was the different traditions around childbearing and childcaring, I read on one of the plaques that they would keep the umbilical cord, as you had referred to earlier, that little piece that falls off or the the cord from the placenta. Um, But they kept that as the baby's first talisman. And this was to be with the baby or the the child, the human forever. And so I think it's just a reminder of where we begin, Um, but they would store it in a small tortoiseshell purse. And the turtle or the tortoise is the symbol of mother earth or the womb. And if you look at a really small tortoise cell, it is about the size of a womb. I know because my father went to a native American ceremony and bought me one. This is one of the traditions that I try and honor too by putting um, the dried uh, spiraled cord into a little pouch for the moms and babies and their family. Also, I have an Indonesian friend who says that they would dry theirs and use it as a chew toy. And so um, I've heard of this now through the communities that I've worked with that some have done this and because it has these properties that can help with the pain relieving of teething. And so they would chew on it, but as we know, it's dried and then the saliva is going to make it soft. And so moms have put it in the freezer modern day moms, and then their babies have chewed on that. So that was another tradition that has come to the modern family as well that I've heard of. And we didn't try it ourselves. What advice do you have for people in relation to the birth and the placenta? 
we have how the placenta was formed and then the stage before what we're talking about. So we're kind of talking about fourth stage and, you know, things we do with the placenta after it's been born. But I do want to mention that how the placenta is born is pretty important. After the baby comes out, the cord is still attached and the cord is still working and the placenta is still working when the baby has been born. And there was a tradition created in the early 1900s, kind of around the industrialization of medicine, to cut the cord immediately and either even separate moms and babies, which is still something that is kind of, I think, traditionally practiced in hospitals and maybe not even knowing physiologically why they would be doing that. I think in the history, it kind of, it shows that during that time that this tradition was started, moms were under a heavy influence of drugs when they were giving birth. And so then the babies would come out pretty drugged because anything that passes through the placenta goes to the baby. And so these babies were coming out pretty drugged and needing to have some help. And so the best ways that they were dealing with it at the time were to go ahead and cut the cord because, of course, the neonatal care was in a separate room than where the mother was giving birth. And so I think this tradition has kind of carried on to our modern day to where we're cut in the hospitals um, is routine to just cut the cord right when the baby comes out. Now, physiologically, this is probably not the best choice. So what happens is that the cord continues to pump blood and that blood going into the baby, the pressure pushes the liquid from the lungs out and you need about 45 milliliters to dilate these capillaries. This is the time that the baby is transitioning to air. Babies don't just come out and breathe. Okay, they have this liquid in their lungs. This is a transitional time. It's a physiological time that um, happens minutes and after the birth. So it takes about 90 to 120 seconds for 50% distribution throughout of this blood to go in into the body. In about three minutes postpartum, you're going to have 100% distribution. But if you're cutting that cord immediately, then you have about half the blood that you need. That baby has about half the blood it needs. And so if it needs 100 milliliters and it's getting half, so 45 to 50 milliliters, then what the body's going to do, because the number one thing it needs to do is breathe and stay alive, is all the blood's going to go to the lungs and to the brain. And the rest of the organs and limbs are going to get less blood. And so that's just going to take a little bit longer for babies to transition. Physiologically, they're going to have a little bit harder time. And of course, this has been going on, well, let's see, it's 2015, so approximately 100 years. And, you know, we're doing all right. We're surviving. But maybe we could be doing a little better. And maybe we could help this transition to be a little bit better for babies and give them the, uh, the ability to come into this life a little bit stronger. And something that comes up, too, is jaundice. So by letting the cord pulse for a few minutes up to an hour. The average is it's it's going to pulse for, you know, 3, 5, 10 minutes, okay? But the true physiological cord closure takes one and a half to three hours. So I've witnessed what midwives traditionally do in a home birth where there's no rush and there's kind of not routine to cut that cord right away is that 
babies are born, placentas are then born after, and um, it's a slow transition. And these babies tend to have less of a jaundice happening. And sometimes there might be what's called like a breastfeeding jaundice, or they might have a little bit higher bilirubin because the cord was left intact and because they have that extra blood that you wouldn't see otherwise, but that's normal. Okay. And so that is normal and it will clear out with good breastfeeding over time and exposure to the sun. But the physiological jaundice that we see right at the, in the first 24 hours, that might be related to having maybe not the full amount of blood that you could have had the cord pulsed out all that blood. There are some worries that, oh, the the um, baby gets too much blood and it can't be regulated. But let's think about the physiology of birth and isn't everything put in place for a reason. And when we were first born for thousands of years, no one was running around cutting cords right away. Also, we do know that the vein actually stays open. And so there's a backwash, the blood's coming in through the two arteries, and then there is an open vein. So there is a backwash that if the baby is done receiving the blood that it needs and the placenta is still pumping, that there is a way for it to not receive that blood, but for it to backwash up and back in. And then maybe that's a signal for the placenta to stop pumping. You know, they're not quite hundred percent on every bit of the physiology of how that process works, but we do know this much. I have learned so much in this conversation. I want to thank you on behalf of me and anyone who's listening. Thank you so much for sharing that. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It was an honor to be here. It's always an honor to share information about placentas. This is something that I think we all can remember as humans, that it's an important part of our anatomy and our physiology, our spirituality, and our emotional state postpartum. You can find out more about Esther Gallagher on estergallagher.com. You can also subscribe to this podcast in order to hear more from us. Thank you for listening, everyone, and I hope you'll join us next time on the fourth trimester. The theme music on this podcast was created by Sean Trott. Hear more at soundcloud.com slash Sean Trott. Special thanks to my true loves, my husband Ben, daughter Penelope, and baby girl Evelyn. Don't forget to share the fourth trimester podcast with any new and expecting parents. I'm Sarah Trott. Goodbye for now. Hello again, bicycle man I know you're doing all that you can I wrote the song, simple and true I wrote the song, I'll sing a song for you You got your wheels, you got your gears you ride around town without any fear You got your pedals, you got your brakes You always wear your helmet for safety's sake